In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, You who are everywhere present and fill all things, Treasury of all that is good, Master of life, come dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. We are going to be looking at St. John's Gospel. We're just going to keep on going through it until we reach the end for the glory of God and the building up of the church. What I want to do in this first segment is just discuss first a little bit about the Gospel of John. Tradition has it that it's written by John, the son of Zebedee. Now, If he's a fisherman, how does he know so much theology and uh, so much liturgy of all the Gospels? This is the one where the, the Gospel itself develops the themes of some of the key feasts of the Jewish liturgy, as we're going to see. That's made people hesitate a bit uh, and look elsewhere. And there's a tradition that it was a, a, a John called John the Elder. Uh, but we haven't worked that out. However, there's one thing we do have to bear in mind. And that is divine enlightenment. He might have been a fisherman. Ter Teresa of Avila was a young Spanish woman, not very well educated. Another woman to whom I'm going to refer later, Conchita, had three years of homeschooling. And yet, there are people ready to declare her already a doctor of the church. And so, you see, John could have been enlightened mystically by all of this. I'm not saying it's the only way. But I'm saying it can't be discounted that a fisherman uh, could do this thing. I have here somewhere... Uh, if I can find it, uh, some notes. Uh, one of them is by uh, John Chrysostom, who says the same thing. You'll have to excuse me for a moment. Uh, no, that's the other note. Um, I don't know what I did with it. Anyway, you'll have to take my word for it, I guess. Um, John Chrysostom said, how could a fisherman be this enlightened? Huh? Because God enlightened him. Uh, and that wouldn't be a big problem for God or for John. I'm sure he'd be happy to be enlightened. Um, I will try to find that at the break and read it to you because it's tremendous. And along with it, another quote from Origen. I'll give you just a snippet of that now so you'll see how the whole tradition uh, esteemed this fourth gospel. First, in the tradition, he's called Ioannis o Theologos, John the Theologian. Theology in those days, theologia, meant inspired, divinely enlightened discourse about the Trinity. Faith discourse about the Trinity. That's theology. There's a wonderful text in St. Teresa of Avila where she speaks of discuss the Lord 
speaking with her about the Trinity, about life with the Father and the Spirit. And um, she says, now this, I believe, is what they call theology. Well, they do. And it would be great if we had more theology like that from, you know, learned people who are divinely enlightened, like John, like John Chrysostom, or Origen, or so many others. Origen, who got a bad reputation, has been, I think, reinstated by the three talks that uh, Pope Benedict XVI gave about him. He's a great theologian. Did he make mistakes? Probably. He was the first. Uh, but he said over and over again, I am a man of the church. If anything I say is in contradiction to the teaching of the church, I want it blotted out. I don't want it. That's origin. About this question, he says, the first fruits of all the scriptures are the Gospels. The first fruits of the Gospels is the Gospel of John. But no one can understand this Gospel unless uh, uh, they have leaned on the breast of Jesus and taking Mary to be their mother. Uh, so we have to pray as we go through this that the Lord enlighten us and help us. Now just a few words about the Gospel. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel. Uh, whenever we get there, we'll discuss chapter 21. Uh, now, I just want to point out, there is this magnificent prologue that we will be just working with today. The first 18 verses, in chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, is the prologue. It sets the stage. It tells us who he's talking about. And that's why it starts, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was turned towards God. And God was the Word. And he goes on from there to describe, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, after the prologue, uh, there is a big block of text. It goes from that point, perhaps 119, down to the end of chapter 12. And it's called the Book of Signs. Because in there, there are seven, what John calls, signs. A sign is something that enables us to go somewhere. If you're driving down, oh, let's pick a neutral place, I don't know where. Anyway, you're driving down uh, Chicago. And you're on the road. There's a sign that says, Winnetka. You don't park and say, well, here we are. You're not there. You've only found the sign. Now you have to follow the sign. When you get there, then you're enlightened. So this first sign we'll see in a few weeks uh, is the changing of water into wine. What does it mean? You see, you have to follow that sign. That, of course, is what we do when we say the rosary. You know, that is the second luminous mystery now. The miracle at Cana. So as we're saying Hail Marys, we're asking Our Lady to take us to follow that sign under the movement of the Holy Spirit so that we understand. So that we understand. And that's the point. And all our effort in these talks 
which will go on for quite a while, because there's 21 chapters to go through, um, we want to understand. And that, my friends, is the work of the Holy Spirit. We do what we can do. We study, we pray, we reflect. But divine enlightenment that sets us free and gives us such delight in our spirit, that's a pure gift. We never earn that. It just comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, the more we get ourselves ready for it, the more we'll understand it when it comes. So, there is this big block, chapter 2, to chapter 12, chapter actually some verses in chapter 1, book of signs. There are seven signs there, seven miracles. I'll probably tell you what they are, but think how many you can give for yourself. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to think. What are the miracles? What are the signs in John? Well, what's the first one? The miracle at Cana. Water into wine. What's the second one? The next miracle at Cana when our Lord comes back from the south, the healing of the uh, centurion's boy, or whatever it's called. Okay, now what's the next sign? The healing of that man at the pool of Bethesda. And the next one? The multiplication of the loaves. And so you see how it goes. Uh, and then the healing of the blind man and the raising of Lazarus. These are the signs. And they point to the radiant glory and divine beauty of Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's what they point to. That's why he did them. You see? And as he, he, Jesus calls them works sometimes. The works are the works that the Father is doing in me. And as he does them in and through me, you see the Father. So that's the structure of that first part of the of the Gospel, huh? and we'll start soon with those with the prologue. Then you have the Book of Glory, Doxa, and that, you know, first you have our Lord's prophecy of His Passion in the washing of the feet. We'll see that. Then we have all those beautiful discourses, and then finally the Passion narrative where we're supposed to catch a glimpse of the glory of God in that crucified man dying in an act of love. Glorious. And therefore, the source of the Holy Spirit. So that's the gospel, the structure of it. And uh, as John says, I wrote all these things so that you'd believe. So you see, the whole gospel is a sign. Uh, it's pointing. And if we let the Holy Spirit enlighten us as we work together and pray together through this gospel, we will come to know the glory of Jesus. Now, the book of glory is the book of the Passion, crowned by the resurrection. And so, you can see how profoundly John worked to structure his gospel, even from the little bit I've said. Now, there's another interesting point about John's gospel, and it's only in John that you have this accent on the Jewish liturgy. You have three Passovers. You have chapter 7, 
all the way down to chapter 10, is all the Feast of Sukkoth, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. We have another word for that. Feast of Booths. Anyway, you know what I mean. Jesus is in Jerusalem at this feast. There's a Jewish expression. It's in the rabbinic writings. If you have never experienced the joy of Sukkoth, you've never experienced joy. It's this beautiful celebration of God's care for his people going through the desert. And it's right in the middle of that when they're commemorating the idea of water coming from the rock that Jesus says, if anyone uh, thirsts, let him come to me. Let him believe he who comes to me. And out of his midst, my midst, Jesus says, there will flow rivers of living water. And John adds, now he said this, of the Spirit. The crown of all his work is to pour out the Spirit. And that's anticipated in sign by the blood and water that flow from his side when he dies. And so, my friends, that is sort of the structure of the Gospel. It's abundant. I will be going through it piece by piece. Uh, there's no need to get overwhelmed with the thought of, I got to keep all those 21 chapters in my mind. You don't. Uh, we all have printed text for one thing. We don't have to do it all by heart. And uh, we're going to go slowly now uh, through the Gospel, starting with the prologue, uh, this, these first 18 verses, and meditate and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand the Word of God as it was given to John for us.